growing up in your own local neighborhood, was there ever a kid that was just a cat's ass that you thought was just the world? Well, the guy I interviewed today, John Tedder, has been in the fishing world here in South Florida since the early 70s. I met John in 1975. I was in fourth grade. I met him at the end of my street on the bridge that I used to fish. The first person I ever seen with a cast net. The first person I ever seen catch a snook over 20 pounds. And the first person that I said, wow, that kid is cool. John took up his sport fishing career on the world-famous A-Dock at Bihiamar here in Fort Lauderdale. And he's still fishing there today. It's my pleasure to have John Tedder on the Real Guy podcast. I'm sure you're going to enjoy this. Clear the airwaves. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is the Real Guy Podcast. Hey everybody, it's Captain Jeff, and welcome to the Real Guy Podcast. I have a special guest in uh, the Lunker Dog Studios today, um, John Tedder. John, thanks for coming in and doing a podcast with us. No problem, Joe. <laughs> it's funny that I got John in here because um, when I moved to Fort Lauderdale in um, 1977, um, John was already fishing my bridge, <laughs> and um, if you didn't uh, know, um, when I first moved to Fort Lauderdale, you know, I was pretty young, and I was just hoping that my mom would let me go up to the Fiesta Way Bridge so I could fish the bridge, you know, and um, not too long after I started fishing that bridge, John Tedder shows up on his bike <laughs> with a five-gallon bucket and a cast net and a snook rod. <laughs> and um both John and I have been fishing um downtown ever since. So John, um what are you doing now? Tell tell the audience exactly what you're what you're doing now and then uh, we'll take it from there. Well actually I'm fishing offshore pretty much. Sword fishing, sail fishing, mahi fishing. But every day I try to get a snook fishing trip in for a little while. So you're still getting your snook fishing in? Oh, yeah. I start <laughs> my day catching mullet <laughs> yeah. every day. You were always, like, bigger than life. <laughs> Not kidding. You know, me and uh, kid Matt Cawthorn, I think you remember Dan Cawthorn. I know about. Yeah. Matt and I, I mean, would sit back and talk about John Tedder <laughs> and how many big snook he would catch. And he always had mullet and he knew where to go. Really, you were the first. Um, the first influence on my fishing here in South Florida. I don't know if you knew that or not. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> uh, nope. <laughs> the yeah. guys I look up to, they're all getting up there. Getting up there in age? Yeah, I fished with George Copeland and Tommy Green and Charlie March and John Guando. You know, those are people I used to look at. Those are, those are the guys you kind of mm -hmm. looked up to and were like, Man, if I could fish with those dudes. Oh, yeah. Right. I used to just follow them. <laughs> when we were young, we could go anywhere we want. See, we used to jump people's fences and fish in their backyards. They'd bring us out to soda. Right. Now you might get shot. Right. It's <laughs> true. If not, you're going to jail by the Fort Lauderdale police. Right. The police are chasing everybody off nowadays, for oh, sure. Oh, it's, it's awful. I just was fishing on the southeast section of town. Mm -hmm. Got my bait in the water. One minute later, red and blue's pulling up. You guys can't fish here anymore. I'm thinking to myself, wow, I've been fishing here about 44 years. 
and now I'm not allowed to fish here anymore. Were, were you able to have any type of like conversation with the cops? Oh, I didn't even bother. I, I didn't. Mean, no, I just said, have a nice day. See and, you later. And moved on? Oh, yeah, because it's everywhere you go now. Yeah, you get run out everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you go to the boat ramp, you got to pay 50 bucks with your boat in the water just to go fish a bridge two minutes away. <laughs> <laughs> and then I I once called the supervisor of the police. I said, oh, I can't fish on the bridge. And I said, well, I got access to like hundreds of boats, really loud boats. They're <laughs> so loud that I'm going to wake the whole neighborhood up when I'm snook fishing now. And he's he started getting on my case. I go... I'll bet you they're going to wish I was standing on the bridge. <laughs> but uh, that's how bad it is. No, and um, and it's kind of crazy that you that that it's gotten that way because, you know, all these different associations and all the stuff on TV, everybody's an advocate for shit fishing. Everybody wants people to fish. At least that's what you hear, and that's what you um, – that's what the propaganda is. But what's really happening out there is – People are discouraged, um, and they're discouraged because there's less and less access to fishing. There's less and less fish, and then law enforcement basically wants to kick you out of, I would say, 75% of all area, even in a boat here in Broward County, um, law enforcement will tell you that you should not be fishing there or can't fish there, whether they're right, wrong, or indifferent. They'll tell you that. Oh, yeah. You know, and um, there's lots of places where it's actually legal to fish, but they kick you out. And then what are you going to do? Well, I found out there's a city ordinance that you're really not allowed to fish on any bridge in Fort Lauderdale. But if it's not posted, they can't cite you for it or take you to jail. But if the police ask you to leave and you come back... Then they arrest you for obstruction. That's so so either way, you're losing. You can't go fishing. Right. Or you have a bad attitude. And they wonder why kids are going around doing crimes in this town. If you can't even go fishing, what's there left to do? Right, right. Not everybody can afford boats. That's true. You know, that's that's a big thing. Boats are expensive. You know, they're a luxury. They're not, you know, to me, it's work. Right. You know, every time I've had a boat, it's for work purposes. Right. Except the one I just built now because it's a little skiff just just to get around the intercoastal waterway and stuff. But uh, they limit you to, like, England's Fishing Bear, Dania Pear. Well, there's, like, millions of people in Broward County. Right. Well, you're going to stick a million people on two fishing bears? <laughs> it's impossible. There's a lot of people down here that are here to fish. Right. And... Unfortunately, a lot of your good fishing's under bridges. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, I'd rather fish a bridge than go out on a pair any day. That's true. You've been fishing on charter boats for how long now? Right at 40 years. 40 years? Mm -hmm. And basically from Fort Lauderdale Beach for the most part? Oh, yeah. Now, all the boats down there that have fished out of, uh, I call it, you know, a dock. We just refer to it as a dock. There was a, Mart. Mm -hmm. Right. There was a couple different docks down there on the beach, but I just refer to all of them as a dock. What was the most famous or what you thought was the most productive boat that you ever were able to fish on? 
And who was, and most, who, who, most, was the, who was the captain, and how did it work? I'd say the happy day today with Captain Rick Brady and Captain Tom Zack. Okay. That's That's been pretty much the number one charter boat in Fort Lauderdale for years. I used to be on the three T's with Bill Timms, mm -hmm. and his business was great, and he caught a lot of fish. You know, but he's long past. Now, um, the happy day today, what kind of boat was that? When I worked on it, it was an Andy Mortensen. I've been on their new boat, too. They have a 46 Hatteras. Right, that's the one I'm more familiar with. I can barely remember the Andy. Oh, yeah, it's a 47-foot Andy Mortensen. Yeah, I'm very familiar with the Andy Mortensen boat because... Um, Your neighbor had one. My Dick Hall. Yeah, mm -hmm. he had one. And also, the gentleman that introduced my father to sport fishing up in Gloucester, Massachusetts, used to roll in an Andy Mortensen. Mm -hmm. So the first fishing boat, the first sport fishing boat that I ever like looked at and was like, man, those guys go out there and slay big tuna, <laughs> was an Andy Mortensen. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tom, he's now Tom Zack. He was one of the captains, and the other captain was? Captain Rick Brady. Okay, now those guys still there? Tom just died like two months ago. Okay, Tom passed. Yeah, he had a heart attack. Rick Brady owns the Marlin My Darling, which in my opinion now has superseded the Happy Day Today. Okay. He has a 53 Hatteras and a 46 Hatteras. Gotcha. But they they do very well. Five star operation all the way. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Now, how many charter boats are are down there at A Dock nowadays? I think nine. Nine. Nine at Bahia Mar. There's two by the fire station and four down off Las Olas. There is a big difference. Well, I just left the full circle. That's by far the nicest charter boat in town. Yeah, and that, was, that was what, a little... Uh, 55 Viking. Right, and that was a fairly newer boat, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very nice boat. Right, I see you rolling around on that one. Most of the charter fishing boats aren't the newer, nicer boats. <laughs> no, most of them are like 70s and 80s still. Right. Right. But like I say, try to go buy a new 46 address. You're looking at $3 million or so. Right, you're not making any money on a dog with yeah, a $3 million dollar you, boat. No, you don't make enough money to pay yourself back, no. Right, but but but, but tell, me, tell me a little bit about what, why you think there's a big difference in, in, um, in the different boats that are down there taking people fishing. Well, it's not really a big difference. My boss, he, you know, he came from Philly, and he was in the real estate business. Right. He just had a lot of money, bought a boat, bought a crew, and took off like that. But most of the boats down there, all of us have been doing it for a living since we were kids. Right. You know, like Mikey, my captain, Milroy, his dad used to own the Eagle 7 charter boat. Mikey grew up in it. Like Richard Campbell, the Moby Dick 5 and the Moby Dick 7, you know, he grew up in it. Right. But a lot lot of us been around there for years, and, you know, in the last couple of years, we've lost a lot of the people, some of the best fishermen I ever met. I hear about all the guys that have uh, come and gone down there on ADOC, mm -hmm. and I refer, to, I refer to that as there's a lot of ghosts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ghosts of Adoc. And um, some of those ghosts were some of the best fishermen that have ever walked. Oh, without a doubt. And I knew them, and I shook their hands, and I, I fished with the, just a couple. But you actually lived the fishing life with these guys. Oh, yeah. 
tell us, tell us, what, 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 what made the ghost of Adoc special? <laughs> I mean, what comes to your mind? Well, they were just absolutely great fishermen. They fished all over the world. Some of the best marlin fishermen, great sail fishermen. And they grew up doing it. They have the heart. They love it. Right. As we love tarpon snook fishing. You love all fishing. I see you out there in the deep killing big mahis and stuff like that. Yeah. There's legends. Captain Kent Smith. You know, I caught a lot of swordfish with him. His brother's the top captain on the whole planet. Right. They ran the hooker. Right. You know, Kent's been down at the dock since he was a kid. Their father owned the Captain Bill, and he got it from his grandfather. I mean, they've got generations of fishermen in the family. And then you got Teddy White. He's won tournaments all over the Bahamas. I'm sure your dad knew him well. Yeah. Right. You right. know. Yeah, my dad, my dad got to know a lot of those dudes that were into the Marlin tournaments mm -hmm. because... Um, I don't know, at least back then, there was plenty of boats in the tournaments, but every every boat kind of knew each other. Oh, yeah. And if you didn't know each other, I mean, you got to know each other. <laughs> right. They, they made it a point. Not only the captains, but also the owners back then, you know, um, understood that there was a community of fishermen. And they wanted to be in that community of fishermen. And some of the great fishermen... Um, like you said, like, well, like Kunta, right? Mm -hmm. um, Party animal. Yeah, he was, a, he, was a, he was a nut. People knew that if Kunta was fishing with you, that it was all business. It was about the fishing. Oh, yeah. And um, I remember the first time I was exposed to Kunta. I was pretty young. And, um, like, I kind of knew who he was. You know, because he was older and he was always, you know, running boats off of a dock. But I was like 20, call it 23, 24 years old. And um, first time I ever worked for this guy, Mark Tupper. <laughs> and Mark Tupper was fishing in one of those tread bar tournaments over in Walker's Key. We're flying over to Walker's and Kunta's in the plane with me. <laughs> And we're sitting next to each other, and, you know, we're talking, and we're kind of getting to know each other. Now, he doesn't know that I was always, you know, the kid on the bike looking at him as I was, you know, as, as a youngster. He was telling me stories about Madam and the Hooker. Mm -hmm. And he's, you know, he, he kind of knew about my dad and fished against him and that kind of thing. And I'm listening, and I'm listening. He turns around, he asks me, he says, who are you fishing with? And I told him about Mr. Tupper and... uh I told him we had Eric, uh, not Eric, but uh, Mr. Leach on the boat, who was the president uh -huh. of the IGFA at the time. Right. And Marsha and Lenny Bierman were fishing on the boat right. with me. And Kunta's eyes lit up. <laughs> and he's like, you're fishing with Lenny? And I was like, yeah. And he started telling me stories about how hard Lenny was to work with. And, and um, you know, watch yourself. Don't say too much. You know, just kind of let Lenny run the show. So here I am. I got the uh, pretty young in my, my career. I got the, the president of the IGFA on the boat, who I'm already nervous about. <laughs> then he's telling me about Lenny Beerman, making me more nervous about it. Right. And then I'm looking at this guy. I'm like, dude, the guy that I, you know, is like, thought was the best Bill Fisherman out it, there it is. is telling me <laughs> to watch out. So my heart is like pumping. My adrenaline is like going. And then Kunta being fairly dramatic, you know, that he was. <laughs> and uh, I remember Lenny 
Beerman walking down the dock, and he gets on the boat, and he gives me a big smile, and he says, oh, we're fishing together? And Lenny was the nicest dude to me, and wanted to teach me how he was rigging his mackerel and doing all this different stuff. And the stress level in my body went from 10 to like five. And I'm uh-huh. like, this guy, Lenny's not too, not too bad. Right. But coming out of Kunta's mouth, man, I was ready for this, like, you know. A monster. Yeah. <laughs> it was a monster. Dad Tom Zach was their captain. He fished with Marsha Bearman Is that for right? a long time. Is that right? Mauritius, all that. Mm-hmm. Us growing up in the fishing world, I mean, we looked at these captains and we looked at these people like, like God, right? Like, like, <laughs> like, like they are God. Right, as far <laughs> to as, us, as far as we were concerned, mm-hmm. as far as we were concerned. And what do you think the what do you think the most valuable things that you've been able to learn by working on ADOC and working with these guys? Oh, uh, so much. I've learned so much. Well, you know, we're instilled with it. I've been fishing since I was like seven. Right. Been throwing cast nets since I was seven. Right. You know, now I throw big cast nets that cover the whole canals. <laughs> but it's just from everyday practice. That's that's why I like the charter boats. They're always going out. You're always fishing. Yeah. If you don't get better when you're always doing it, then you might as well get out of it. That's <laughs> how I look at it. But yeah. I've learned tricks of the trade from some of the best. And the families. The families. Oh, the women hate you because you're never home. <laughs> then if you're home, you don't make enough money. <laughs> right? What a dynamic. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, right. You lose either way. Pissed that you're working and pissed if you're home. That's right. Uh, when are you going to come home? <laughs> All right, I'll take a couple of days off. How come we don't have enough money? <laughs> right. I've right. seen it all. I, I attribute to a lot of the, the drugs and the alcohol. And abuse that goes, you know, along with our industry. Well, I've had my share. <laughs> well, and th- a lot of guys have. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of guys that, have. That was part of the game back when I started. What do you, you mean? You know, I mean, I used to get more jobs because I knew where all the good drugs were. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in reality, that's how it used to be. I mean, the Bahamas was all cocaine, weed, everything, rum and cokes. If you didn't do it, you're not coming. Right. I've, I've lost jobs because... Of not partying and stuff. Because there was a time when you said, hey, enough's enough? I found 40 kilos in Bimini, and we took it over to Mangrove Key. (laughs) This back, I was on the Centra. I was on, like, one of the top five boats in the world. Right. This back in 1984. So my captain and I, we buried it on island, but we kept the giant head stash just for a one-week tournament. Well, we had... (laughs) The whole third leg of the Bahama Billfish Championship strung out. Nobody slept the whole week <laughs> in Walker's Key. It was funny as hell. But, uh, I mean, really, every, everybody was doing it back then. It's amazing any of us make it out alive from the 80s. That's true. It was, it was terrible down there. You know, now now this stuff going around, fentanyl's killing everybody I just saw a bus go by. Two people a day are dying from opioids. Yeah, the, there's a drug thing going on now like we've never seen. I mean, the the drug thing that we saw here in the 80s, 
and that was rampant through the fishing world wasn't just the fishing world it was you know the bar scene here the uh, spring break type people the speed boats that went around the actual they drug, were bringing it right here. the actual <laughs> drug smugglers yeah the actual drug smugglers it's funny you know uh, on that fiesta way canal i can remember the two boats you know were basically drug smuggling boats mm -hmm. and you didn't even think nothing of it. You know, they would come down the canal at friggin' one o'clock in the morning. And they weren't exactly quiet. <laughs> right. You know, but I can I can remember them to this day. Even I remember one of the names of the boat was called the Super Spook. I know who that was. Do you? <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I don't know how big time or, or small he was. His name was Ted or something like that. You but know? he used to come down the dock, you know, or come down the canal, and I'd be sitting on the dock, and I'd just kind of watch him go by, and I'm like, uh, I got a feeling he's not snook fishing this morning. <laughs> no. Oh, no. But that's really how South Florida was, you know. But it, at least uh, you could do what we wanted to do. Right. You know what I mean? It, you can't even be a kid here anymore. I feel bad for the younger generation because even the laws on fish itself, they're making it so you can't even keep anything you catch. All right. That, that's really hurting the whole charter industry. Oh, it's crushing it. For oh, sure. Yeah. For sure. And you know, I mean, you, you're a snook fisherman, but you know how hard it is to get a four-inch slot? I mean, really, you'll go through 30 fish before you get a, a nice slot that you can eat. And exactly. It, you know what I mean? It's depressing. It's like, oh, there it is. Let them go. Yeah, and, you know, not being able to harvest the fish is a big part um, of of fishing itself like okay yes you go you spend the time and learn how to catch the fish but harvesting it bringing it home eating it is a whole nother aspect of it and it was funny i was listening to a podcast that the salt strong guys did with some chick that works out of dc for one of these fishing organizations that you know are going to keep track of all the different um people that are fishing how many are starting how many are not starting and she was totally amazed that the Hispanic population in uh, Florida is growing so fast, but the number of Hispanics that get fishing licenses and that actually participate in fishing is diminishing. I believe it. Of course. And I'm listening to the podcast, and I'm listening to the lady, and I'm like, dude, have you never hung around people that are Spanish, people in the Latin culture? They love harvesting fish. They fish so they can keep their snappers, go home, do a barbecue the with family. the family. Mm -hmm. And it's a, right, it's a whole experience. It's part of their culture, and that is why they'd want to fish. So the Spanish people that aren't getting their fishing license and aren't participating in fishing, well, duh, if you don't let them eat what they catch, the chances of them wanting to fish are slim to none. So you're not allowed to keep them and eat them anymore, hardly. Right. You're not allowed to... Be at the places where you're able to fish. Right. The legends of the industry are going away one by one. A lot of them don't want to do it anymore. I was talking to L&H's brother, to Jimmy's brother, Freddie. Right, and those guys are He's phenomenal. Freddie's ready to get out of fishing completely. He's like over it. And what's his, what's his take? The same thing. He's got the same complaints. Well, we get up early. We bust our ass from before daybreak to dark right. almost daily. I mean, you kill yourself, and uh, slowly but surely, you're losing charters. 
you're getting harassed by the cops. There's no more money to be made in the industry, really, to support a family. Right. Well, and, and, and that's the other thing, too, is, you know, we were growing up living in South Florida was not exactly the most expensive place to live. Absolutely not. I mean, we, we were here on Los Angeles Boulevard. Yeah, you had to have a few bucks. You right. know, like my old man, he could afford it. And, and you know, our families, you know, weren't like we were starving, but we weren't loaded. Right. You know, it wasn't like there was millions of dollars like it takes now. And personally, millions. I, I don't understand how somebody off of ADOC can even live in South Florida anymore. Barely. You have to own the boat. And you what, have to be an owner, and you have to go out at least 400 times a year to <laughs> be able to have a house and pay all your bills and all your dock bills and all that. Yeah. The... um. Or another source of income. Right. Like Rick Brady and Tom Zach were firemen. They used to switch. One go to the fire station, one would run the boat three days on, then the other one goes back to the fire station, the other one runs the boat. Right. They did it good. And being a fireman and being... They have a pension now. Right. They got the, But being a fireman and then running a boat off of dock and doing charters, you could afford to live downtown years ago. Right. No, none of us could afford a place here. Right. And I came from a pretty wealthy family, and we had to sell the house, you know, to split it between all the kids. Try to buy that house. Try to buy a house here after you've done split all the money up. Right. You have to have, you probably got to have $50 million to buy a house on Las Olas and keep it the rest of your life at this point. Yeah, no, it's it's totally Insane. Totally out of control. And you can't think all these people just have all this money. They don't just have a house. They got a 150-foot, three-story yacht behind the house. I mean, these people are coming with billions. I've never seen anything like it. This is, and they're they're the reason why you can't fish on any bridge or anything because they're so worried somebody's going to come steal everything they own. That's true. And that's exactly what it is. Or I paid millions to stay here. Why is this person fishing on our bridge right. that they're never going to fish off anyway? Right. And those are the people I like. Why the frig did you move here? Or why did you buy a property here? It's a city. It's a city law. Dude. It's not a county law or a state law. It's a city ordinance that you're not allowed to fish on a bridge. Right. And fair and for Lauderdale. And that's like failure. <laughs> and Fort Lauderdale's pretty good at that. Fort Lauderdale's pretty good at that. There was a few years back where they tried to ban fishing on the beach totally. I saw that. Remember that? Mm -hmm. And if the fishermen didn't get involved, and um, it was Kantner and Carl Ball that actually caught wind of the what they were trying to do. And if the fishermen didn't get involved. Um, they would have passed it. They would have passed it. Right. And nobody would have known. The only difference is sign would have been up and the cops would have been enforcing it. And um, even so, even, even so, um, if the lifeguards are down there, you can't fish. You know, so you got to go like super early in the morning. Or you go to the private part of the beach. Right. You can mm -hmm. still go down to the private part of the beach. But they were going to try to ban fishing all the way through. Oh, yeah. All the way through. And I, that, way, that way, Jeff, you go out and buy crack because <laughs> you have to go east to the bridges, <laughs> east to the beach. What else is there to do? Buy liquor, buy crack, get high because you can't fish. That's how I've looked at it all this time. 
I mean, these people are running kids out of a life. I was going to sit there and try to film the bridge and see if any homeowner in the southeast region goes and fish on the bridge and see if they get kicked out. Because they're the ones calling the cops saying, hey, there's people fishing on our bridge. Right. Right? Right. Boy, is that so they can walk down and fish on the bridge? Do they really think that they're allowed to fish on the bridge any more than we are? Well, that's the sad part. They think because they got all this money that they're allowed to fish here because they bought a house down the street. But that's not the law. It's not the law. But do you think the cops are enforcing the law on those guys? They should be. Yeah, but are they? What do you think? I mean, is it, uh, I would like to know. I'd personally like to know. I'd like to set them all up and say, you're, well, how come you ain't kicking these people? Well, you're going to tell me because they have a $8 million house down the road? Oh, sorry, that city ordinance goes for everybody. I guarantee you they're not getting kicked out. Oh, no. And I'll tell you, and I'll tell you how I know. You know, I've run big boats in my life, and I've run small boats in my life. Mm-hmm. I've never... In the history of running a big boat, have been pulled over by Florida Wildlife, not once. Oh, I have. I'm sure. No, I'm sure. But I'm on the charter boats a say, lot. Right, the charter boats. They, you know, they know that the charter boats and they actually target them. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the multimillionaires and their big oh, boats. Oh yeah, they don't stop them. They oh, don't no. stop them. It's selective enforcement. I've never been stopped on a boat bigger than say 45 feet, and I've been stopped hundreds. In hundreds of times in, your, in, in your, my little 20-foot skiff with clients on the boat. You know what I mean? All right. And showed them the correct licensing and showed them the correct safety gear and showed them everything that they wanted to see. Right. They're just trying to run you out of business. I don't know if they're trying to run you out of business. I don't think they even know what they're doing, you know. But it is running people out of business. Oh, yeah. They pulled up next to our charter boats and asked our customers if they're mounting fish and saying, no, it's a scam. Well, really, it's not a scam. If people want to mount a fish, you know, if I was living in Kansas, I got a big sailfish, and I saved my whole life up to be able to go on that trip and try to catch one, and I want to mount it, I don't care what it costs. Right. I want that fish. Right. You know, and we're, we don't like killing everything we catch. We're not trying to kill sailfish and stuff like that. But in our business, once in a while, you got to take one. I at least smoke the meat and make good dip out of it. Right. You know, but uh, they actually pull up next to your boat and deter people and get in the war. My captain friend, Chris Klein, got in a big altercation with FWC for doing that with a charter on the boat because that really infringes on the business. So and they, that's illegal. And they actually got on the boat? and then they, t- they pulled up next to it and they wanted to ask people why they're doing it. Don't you know mounting a fish through great taxidermy is a big scam? Well, it's not. Well, what do they mean by a scam? Like a scam, like we force people to mount fish. People want to mount fish. Uh, you can try to talk people out of mountain fish, and they want that fish above their wall because they got deers and bears and everything else on their wall. People are trophy game hunters. Right. You know, a lot of people charter your boats just to get a trophy. Right. And it's not our fault. You know, we take people out and try to catch them what they want to catch. Right. But uh, the FWC actually gets involved in your charters. 
Right. They jump on your boats. They they could be nice about it, wait for your charter to leave, then jump on your boat and talk to you. Hey, what'd you catch? How about you a fish? You know, or whatever. If they see something, they could sit in their truck and sit on standby or no, they wanna come down like, like they're gonna throw everybody in jail for catching a twenty inch kingfish or something. Right. See like in theory I'm a fan of the whole Florida wildlife and conservation. Absolutely. In theory. The problem I have with the Florida wildlife and conservation is it's pretty much fake. Like selective enforcement, like I was saying, between the uh, guys that are fishing, you know, $10 million sport fish boats compared to the guy in the John boat. Selective enforcement where the multimillionaires never get stopped, but their kids do. When their kids are out there and they're smaller boats. Oh, yeah. Then the whole, um, the whole idea that charter captains and charter fishermen are the opponents of the FWC. Like, like they view us as prey. They view us as... as money. Well, yeah, money. But, but they definitely don't... They don't want to know us. They don't want to. They don't want to have a relationship with us. Like for instance, right now, if you and I went down here and we started snook fishing at the bridge, the big bridge, Las Olas Bridge. Oh yeah. And the next to the park there, where we're allowed to be. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And we sit there, and we saw a diesel slick coming through the intercoastal that was really nasty. Right. Do you have an FWC officer that you could call or text? Who, Bingham? Shit, they were just hunting for me for two years. Right. You don't, I don't even have to hunt for them. They're always around. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, they're around for that, to kick you off the bridges and stuff. But they're also around for that diesel spill. Oh, yeah. But they don't do anything about that. That's Coast Guard. Well, I'm just saying, I don't give a shit who it is. They're Florida Wildlife and Conservation. If they see a diesel spill in the intercoastal, that should be may- way more alarming than seeing a guy fishing and checking his friggin' fishing license. Right. But that's not the case. No, what about Big Sugar dumping all the chemicals in Lake Okeechobee and causing major, major green and blue algae tides turn into red tide and killing millions of snook. Millions. Right. You can't even fish on the West Coast still from last year. Exactly. I'm telling you, they, they're, they're, they're so wrong going for us and they're letting all that garbage go on and those people are killing millions and it's all for the almighty dollar well it's always about the dollar and that's that's so you know true and unfortunate but um still dead fish it's dead fish and (laughs) and that and that's what i mean like in theory florida wildlife and conservation is right on in reality it's fake. <laughs> There's, they should take no. They should take wildlife and conservation off the title, and just put law enforcement, and then in front of law enforcement they should put petty, <laughs> because the guys that are really doing bad shit, and the guys that are really harming the environment, they have nothing to do with. Oh no, they pay them off. <laughs> they have to be. I mean, they're causing they're causing environmental damage to where it's killing manatees, turtles. It doesn't matter, birds. Everything's going down. Right. And you know, what I mean, if they would have left the Everglades the way they were supposed to drain, 
through the Everglades instead of straight out to the east and straight out to the west. They got a straight shot into killing everything. Yeah. And they're worried about 10 snook we catch. They chased me for two years because somebody said I was catching oversized snook and selling them too. They are pulling me over like I was Tony Montana. <laughs> I, I, they told me if we catch you with a big snook, you're going to jail forever. Forever? Forever. Well, I'm still on probation. <laughs> but uh, no, they... they really wanted, they really tried their hardest. I think they had a beeper on my truck or were tracking my phone. Every bridge I ended up on, the FWC was there. You know, uh, what about these 14, 13, 12 foot cast nets and the gaff in my truck too, sir? Oh, I work on the charter boats. Oh, oh. Yeah, and I got a license. You know, after how many times you pull me over, does it become harassment? But that's what I just dealt with. You know what? I quit fishing for snook for two years. Really? I, I, I rarely go snook fishing anymore just because of the FWC harassing me. I had to get my lawyer to take it to the Broward County Courthouse right on my dad's floor next to my dad's old office. <laughs> you know he was a judge here. Tell me a little well, bit. You know, Tell me well, a little bit about that. Oh yeah, they had me in their South Satellite Courthouse because my captain gave me two 11-inch blackfin snappers when he was on his Tortugas trip, and they're legal out in the Gulf. There's no size limit. But since he gave them to me, and I live in Fort Lauderdale, and we ran the, you know, ran a charter boat here, what they're illegal to possess, but you can catch them. See, I don't get that. What if I came in from a trip and I driving home from the Tortugas and I live in Fort Lauderdale and I get pulled over with two little snappers that are legal where I caught them? Anyway, they they thought they had me. You know, I mean, they couldn't catch me with a big snook. I said, "Won't I look stupid?" I said, "I know every snook spot in this town. You're gonna have to hunt for me from now till the end of time." <laughs> anyway, they they put me in their big courthouse in South Satellite in Hollywood. I had my lawyer move it to the Broward County main courthouse. And that judge said, what is this doing in my courtroom? What are these people wasting my court's time with something like this? He goes, just give them a $100 donation. For, forget about it. Right. And he goes, the, you're George's kid? I was like, yeah, he's more interested of my dad being a judge than what these people are trying to do over two little fish. Now, that's petty shit the FWC's doing. Right. I looked at him. I said, hey, if I really wanted to poach snook, don't you think I'd go to Sebastian or something? I can really I, crush him? Yeah, I go, you know, really. I go, you're lucky you catch one here. Yeah. You got to be good. You've had to do this your whole life just to catch one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it is. It's, and like I said, they should take, they should take, uh, wildlife and conservation off and put petty in front of law enforcement <laughs> because i'll tell you i'll tell you another similar story that happened to me just last year and um just ridiculous stuff but the fwc um checked me fishing at a hull over nine out of 11 trips okay that's harassment Okay, but I can I can deal with it. I mean, you know, I'm legal. I got all my safety equipment and so on and so forth. But um, I don't know. 
maybe I th- think after two or three times it becomes harassment. Well, Le- I th- legally, legally, I think if I you could... put a lawyer on them, they'd never stop you again just because of what they did. Right, and and and, and I think you're right because uh, my lawyer actually said that to me, and I told her I said I didn't want to have to deal and and go. I that... told mine I would. would I think? haven't seen them since. I seen them at the dock, shook their hand, and said, "I told you I work here." Well, I, I'm not scared of them. Wait, you know, it, I mean, I buy my fishing license. I've been fishing there my whole life. You know, what I mean, if I want to go snook fishing, I'm going to go snook fishing. Well, that that's it. Well, you want to check my shit? That's cool. But when you start threatening me and telling me you're trying to put me away the rest of my life for catching a lousy fish, you're a scumbag. That's how I look at you. You're a fucking scumbag. If you want to throw somebody in jail for the rest of their life for a fish right well they want to take it a little bit further than that because what they wanted to get me for was a registration issue i never i never registered um my 20-foot skiff as a commercial vessel and the reason i never uh registered as a commercial vessel is because I assumed that if you registered as a commercial vessel, then you'd have to have the commercial safety regulations would apply to you. And in a 20-foot skiff, you can't exactly apply to the commercial safety regulations because you can't have that type of equipment on that type of boat. So I never registered it um, commercially. When I got checked seven out of the, or whatever it was, nine out of the 11 trips, nine of those checks Nobody cared about the registration. In the 200 times that I got checked in the last four or five years, nobody cared about the recreational registration. So this one FWC officer says, you know, you should have to register this thing commercially. And I said, I didn't realize that. And he says, yeah. He says, you do. He says, because you make money with the boat and you got to register commercially. And I says, okay. I said, uh, I got trips the rest of the week. I says, um... There's no way I can get it done probably till Monday. And because I was getting checked every single night, I wanted to make sure, I wanted to communicate with the guy that, okay, I'll register commercially, but I just can't get it done tomorrow. It'll probably be next week sometime. So he said to me, um, okay, but if some other FWC officer pulls you over and cites you for the same thing, I can't help you there because I'm giving you this warning and it's actually going to, you're going to get a, a, you know, a ticket. And I said, okay. So as I was leaving there, I called an FWC officer that I usually fish with and I told him what just happened. And I said, geez, do I got to, do I got to cancel my trip tomorrow and go get this thing registered, you know, that way? And he's like, man, he goes, I never even heard of a guy, um, Harassing it. Pulling <laughs> or, or, or asking for that type of registration. Right. He says, he says, so I wouldn't worry about it. He says, I said, listen, I said, I'll get it done next week. I said, but, you know, I, I and, and he told me, he said, yeah, I wouldn't worry about it. He said, just get it done as fast as you can. I said, okay, great. The very next night, the very same place, a different FWC officer comes up to me after my trip. And the first thing he asked me is, does this boat have a commercial registration? <laughs> now I'd never been asked that before. You just said I didn't have a, a paying charter on the boat. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I, it, but the thing is, I could have lied. I could have been a scumbag about it. Oh yeah. But I didn't. I told him the truth, and I says it's funny. I says because you know I've been checked hundreds of times and no one's ever asked me that except for last night. 
<laughs> so the FWC officer obviously was tipped off by the guy from the last night. He calls the guy on the phone to ask him if, she, if he should give me a citation. And the guy said yes. Because he warned you. Because he warned me. But he had the option to give me the citation or not. And they chose to give me the citation. Then, as I'm reading the paperwork about the citation, because it's a registration issue, if I just agreed and got the commercial registration, I was actually going to have a misdemeanor on my record. Really? That, that would be a misdemeanor. Right. So then I called my attorney, and I'm like, wait a second. I says, if I pay this, and I says, and I go get it, and I go get it registered that way, I says, I, that means I agree and um, that I committed a crime, and they'll have a misdemeanor. I says, I, I, what do I got to do? She says, well, you got to go to court. And fight it. And fight it. Yeah. So my attorney and I go to Miami to go to court over this bullshit registration thing. Right. The judge looked at the registration. He looked, she looked at the FWC officer. He was actually there. Oh, yeah. The, the look that the judge gave the FWC officer as she, she just shook her head and looked at him like, you idiot, why in the world would you waste my time with this petty bullshit? Yeah, they got, judges have real they, jobs right, to do. Right, they threw, they threw the case out in a second. I went on my way. I didn't get a misdemeanor on my, on my record, and it was done. And you still didn't get registration. <laughs> no, I, no I, ended up, I'm only kidding. I ended up getting the registration. And like I said, if I'd have known before, and you I, got it. And I was more than willing to, whatever rules that they apply to me, I'm going to fulfill. Right. I'm out here every single day. Yeah, you I can't, can't afford be, not right, to. I can't not be legal. Right. But how far did the FWC go out of their way to bust my balls? That far. Right. And that's what I mean. Like, and it's, it's coming from Bingham, way down south, the southeast regional director, Bingham. Well, it's... He's, he should be retired. I've known him from 40 years ago on the dock. Well, I just think it's... Why, this, why all of a sudden is he on to all the fishermen? I mean, well, in this he's day, catching people selling a couple kingfish behind their boat that people leave them as a tip. See, because I'm, you got to have a fishing license, this kind of license, to, to make $10. Well, you can buy thousands and licenses to make ten dollars you know it's like really and then people got five hundred dollar fines because of it <laughs> but they were sending undercover they made it a real big operation they spent like hundred thousand or better of the taxpayers money to set up sting operations they did it all around the whole state of florida and and, and, and it's for petty like you said that's petty right. i mean it's, we, we, we're just fishermen. And, and I got to tell you, John, like, I'm not going to fight them on the rules and regulations and the limits and all that. No, because we won't win. And, and, and I wouldn't fight them on that if that's what they truly believe is going to help um, the fish population. But it's all smoke and mirrors. It's all bullshit. As they're doing this petty crap to small fishermen like us, we're sitting in the diesel slick. <laughs> right. You know, we're sitting in the, in, the, in the intercoastal that's infested with plastic. Right. You know what I mean? The ships are coming in from all different types of countries and places, and they're friggin' polluting the port that we're fishing in. 
And nobody says anything because that's big business. Says the water taxi. The water taxi. Oh, my God. Dude, that's the worst thing that's ever. I can't even fish by my one of my favorite spots. I used to fish at Cooliamic Park my whole life. Right. And, and, and uh, I don't. Because I, of? I don't fish anywhere on New River anymore, period. And I don't either. It's because of water taxis. They don't quit till like 2 in the morning. No, it's ridiculous. And everybody's cool with that. They sure are. But, nobody, but nobody's cool. Because they'd rather have them drive them than drive drunk and get a DUI. <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and there's so many issues. And it's all fucking fake, John. <laughs> the whole conservation the whole conservation movement the whole all these guys all these people all these organizations bureaucracies all these people that swear they're into conservation well, are they going to open up the dam in the new river again so water can throw through the new river <laughs> are they going to go after the water taxis so the freaking there's not too much pressure it's bad. Traffic on the on the new river. Are they going to get the plastic out of the port? Are they going to worry about the diesel spills? No. And all those same so-called conservationists are right there, walking through the plastic, boating through the diesel, boating in the intercoastal waterways that are shut off by dams, and watching the wilderness and watching the environment fail. That's right. Those same people. Mm -hmm. But they want to goof with the little guy. But the small fisherman's the villain. <laughs> the small fisherman's the villain. Even the charter boats. They're not rich people. They're hard-working people. I don't, I don't damn the cops or the FWC for the most part. I mean, you need law enforcement because things happen. You know, somebody's got to, you know, uphold the law. Well, in conservation and fishermen, you know, years ago you couldn't make the argument that they were the same because of the, all the killing, you know, that that went on. You know, there was just way too much killing in the old days when you saw the old charter docks and all the sailfish were hung up and all that. Oh, yeah. And it was something that people had to learn. Okay, well, now you go down there and you don't see that type of mass killing anymore. No. Therefore, we are not the dudes that should be the focus of, cons of, of, of helping the environment or That's conservation. Correct. It should be the big companies that should be under more scrutiny. Eh, I don't know, dude. It's, it's hard. It's hard. I'm just saying we're fishermen. We fish for a living. They're putting us out of business. They're definitely trying to put people out of business. That's it. If, if none of us were fishing, they'd be real happy. I don't. Do you really believe that? Do you think they would be happy, or do you think they're they're driving people out of business and driving the kids not to fish, and driving the recreational well, they're, fishermen they're, they're away made, because of ignorance? I don't think anybody loves fishing as much as me. I've been doing it since I was a real small kid, almost seven days a week my whole life long. Right. I'm to the point. I'm ready to go back to my house in Ocala and walk away from all this. That's where my head's at. Because, you know, it's it's pathetic what's going on around here. It really is. Now I think I, 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 there's a lot of there's a lot of me that wants to do the same, mm -hmm. and I'm watching a lot of guys do that. They're just like it's not worth it, and no. they're picking up and they're leaving. And um, 
The problem with that is that's just going to escalate the bullshit that's going on now even more. Yeah, but we'll leave it to them. Yeah. I look at it like that. I mean, I've caught millions of fish. I've caught everything. If yeah. if I left tomorrow, I'd be sa- if I died tomorrow, I'd be satisfied. I've caught everything I want to catch except the black marlin. I just never fished in the Pacific, but you know, I've caught everything. But did it, selfishly, I could walk away too that way. But what what drives me to take people fishing is the very young. Mm-hmm. You know, when you take kids. when you take those kids fishing and they catch their first tarpon or their first snook or Chang- their first big jack or whatever it may be. Changes their whole life. Right. You see it. Oh yeah. You see it. And if guys like us walk away and give up, those kids never are going to get to see it. Are their dads gonna take them to do it? Probably. They'll be they'll always be somebody here. I, I just their dads aren't taking I've, them to do it because their dads aren't willing to fight with the cops and do the same things that you're trying to do and you're getting ready to walk away from it. Well, I'm fifty six years old too. Yeah. I've forty years on the water I'll break most people's backs. I mean <laughs> I've commercial swordfish for twenty years on and off. You know, I've been to the Grand Banks all the way to South America, the Gulf and Outer Bahamas. Doing nothing but killing huge fish. I've had two hernia operations. I currently have three slip discs. I just have fluid balled out of my hip. You know, I'm getting old. I can retire, you know. Not wealthy, you know, but I can go move up there and just take a normal job and let the new generation in. It wouldn't break my heart because I've seen the best days of the best days. Those days are gone. It'll never be the same. I I just don't see it. And I love it. There's nothing I want more. Go out and put two kites up at daybreak and catch sailfish all day long or whatever comes along and bites. You know, I live for it. It's it's me. Yeah. I don't know. But uh it's to the point where you we're not making a good living. We are getting harassed by police. You know, fuel costs are going up. You know, insurance, they want you to have a million licenses. It's almost not worth doing it for a living. It's better off doing it for fun. Like me, today I got up, got my truck, went and caught bait, hit a couple bridges. You know, my friend lost a big snook. But, uh, you know, I had fun. It was all right. But I I could, like, go home and go to work somewhere else. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And that's that's where my head's been at lately, and it, a lot of it's because of law enforcement, and that you really can't afford to live in Fort Lauderdale as a fisherman. Well, those are the those are, those are the things we're all fighting. You know, <clears throat> fortunately for me, you know, uh, my wife and I moved here in in downtown Fort Lauderdale and bought us a little house back when you know things were somewhat affordable. Right. And we pooled our money together and we did it. But if we didn't, we damn sure wouldn't be able to move in here now. And they can only raise your taxes by 3%. Yeah. But hey. You know, people think that like that's a that's like a savior. <laughs> the problem is is they can only raise your taxes by 3%, but 3% of the assessed value. Well, if, <laughs> if your house is assessed at a million bucks, 3% <laughs> is a lot. Oh, yeah. Now, the fisherman's getting squeezed out of here. The rich dude... 
is allowed to come in and do anything they want. Guys like you and me are losing our heart and losing our spirit. Right. In the meantime, in the name of conservation, it's only guys like you and me that are really going to make a difference and fight, really going to make man. it happen. Because the government and these bureaucracies, even the officers that are willing and want to do the right thing, they can't. They're not going to be able to fight the counties that are damming up the, uh, the estuaries. You know, like people think that the water quality... Oh, yeah. Rod DeSantis is looking into it. Our know, governor's really big on that. Our know, new governor. I, I know he, he is. Ain't, he ain't about it. He's, I, I know he, he wants he, to clean up that that act up there in Okeechobee. You know, I think, I think he's going to be very good for, for Florida. You know, you and a lot of other guys are really optimistic about DeSantis. I really think he's going to try he, to take care of this big sugar problem. You know, John, it goes deeper than the big sugar problem. It's about overdevelopment. All these, all these canals and dams are put there so they can make new neighborhoods, so they're not marshes anymore, right? And so they can build. Do I think the there, there do has I, to be a cutoff limit? Well, and I, I don't see that happening. No, you just see uh, everything going up in the air. And that's what I mean by DeSantis. <laughs> I think, I think that, I think that, yeah. They'll put together some sort of plan to restore some of the water flow that's coming out of Lake Okeechobee. Mm-hmm. But really, I think, and and I hate to be such a su- such a pessimist about it, but do I think that DeSantis or anybody else that claims to be the modern day conservationist really gives a shit enough to say, hey? Hold on, overdevelopment's the problem, and we got to quit filling in every single swamp area that we have with white rock and concrete. I don't think that's happening, John. <laughs> I don't think it'll have to eventually. I mean, we just won't have yeah, enough when, water. Yeah, when everything's to... then, yeah, when everything's friggin' dead and everything's friggin' gone, you know. Well, I was smart. I bought a place up in North Florida years ago. That's what I mean. I I can still fish. And just do it up in, like, North Carolina. You know, a lot of these charter boat people from here, they're going up there. You know, and that's the answer. And it, and it, I'll tell you what, it's beautiful. It's cooler out. A different class of people. You know, they have their laws, too. But, I mean, this, this place, there's 50,000 registered boats in Broward County. They probably twice, twice that much. I mean, the pressure on the fishing out here is insane. See, I don't think. See, I I watch the pressure at least on the inshore fishing. Mm-hmm. Right, and I don't see that many guys fishing. I do see the water taxis. I do see the pollution. <laughs> I do see the other boats. I do see the jet skis. I see all that other crap. Mm-hmm. I'm not seeing the fishermen. Well, you you do an elite thing, right? Because. You know, a lot of people like catching snook and tarpon, That's but a lot of people don't like putting a boat in the water, paying 40 bucks at the boat ramp, you know, to fish eight hours and get harassed by the police and parking meter maids and everything else that goes along with it just to catch a snook and a tarpon when you got a whole ocean. I mean, you go out commercial, you go out sword fishing or sail fishing or catching mahis if you leave the boat ramp. Why stop right at the inlet? Yeah. But see, you catching tarpon and snook is a passion 
that's that's how you and me grew up. That's our that's our love. You know, I I could have probably went your route. I fished fished for him my whole life, but it's almost like I was would have been selling out my own soul. <laughs> I mean, I love tarpon and snook fishing probably more than all of it. Right. Yeah, right. you walk out in your backyard and catch a like a blue marlin. You know what I mean? I yeah. live right in the best tarpon fishing in Broward County. I've caught tarpon like 200 pounds right out right out of my dad's backyard. And yeah. how could you not love it? Right. You know, and, but that's one reason I, I didn't do it. I didn't do charters. I've taken people from the charter boat and, and fished with them myself personally, like in my trucks off seawalls and let them catch them and stuff like that. But uh, you know, I'd, I always told myself I couldn't. I couldn't do what you do. You know what I mean? Right. Actually, I'd probably be good at it. But Duh, actually, you actually, you're better. <laughs> you're you're probably way better than me at this point. Well, the, you know, you know how the fishing game is. I mean, I've gotten very, very good at tarpon fishing. I don't do near as much snook fishing anymore because a lot like what you're saying is I don't have the heart to show people total strangers <laughs> your hot some, spots well, the, well you, those snooks are you know there's something about them and those spots are something about them and it's not something that you know you really want to show just anybody just anybody that's right now the tarpon on the other hand is a little different and i'll tell you why it's because they move so much mm -hmm. and they're hard to catch and you could show a guy a way to tarpon fish right this month and next month that's not the way to do it <laughs> right you know they'll be eating mullet heads or shrimp right. or and live mullet therefore or... people can't mimic the tarpon thing quite like they can mimic the snook thing right and also there's more room for tarpon fishing than there is for snook fishing snook fishing is more about you know smaller spots little areas where you know they're going to come to feed right you know oh yeah and you know, so I do a lot less, a lot less yeah, they're, snook fishing. Yeah, they're more of a structure fish. Right. And so I do a lot less, a lot less snook fishing and a lot more tarpon fishing. You haven't had that problem, though? Some of your charters, you end up with their boats coming in. Hey. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> no, I see it all the time, you know, and they'll look at me and I'll look at them. And, you know, I'll just kind of shake my head, <laughs> you know. And, um, yeah, I might work for them for about a week or two or a month. And then there won't be fish there. Right. And then, then, I'm, the off, then I'm off to someplace else, and then they're still at that spot for the next 10 months, and they don't catch anything there for 10 months, and then uh, they quit. Right. You know, but, you yeah, know, that's something we all got to deal with as pros. But, yeah, I don't have the heart, you know, for the snook anymore. Um, the tarpon thing is great. It's a great little niche. Um, oh, they're, they're exciting. They're exciting. And there's not a lot of captains that are going to creep up behind me and get, you know, and, like, sneak into that type of business. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I feel for the guys down there on ADOC. Should the inland water fishing's sometimes better than it is offshore? It's uh, it's often better, and it's harder, and it's, you know, it's not something you can duplicate. But, like, you know, I, I look at the offshore dudes, and I can remember when you could go right out the inlet here off the shoal and catch these big, giant barracudas and make your cousins happy. Oh, yeah. You know? And then when you were done doing the barracudas, you could catch kingfish till you puke. And you could catch bonitas, big ones, <laughs> till you could puke. Oh, yeah. You know, and everybody was happy. And then I look at it now, and I go out there, and I fish offshore. 
and I'm lucky to catch any of that stuff anymore. Oh yeah, you got to work hard at it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's totally, that's, totally different. That's what I mean. Yeah, I still catch plenty of fish out there, but you know, I mean, I'm I'm putting rods out everywhere to do it. That and, and, and you know, forty years of experience to well, be able to get the bites I get. And that's what it takes now, man. Oh yeah, it takes a super pro, somebody like yourself, in order to catch fish consistently. I'm not saying that these T-topping dudes with their four hundred thousand dollar T-tops can't run out there and catch a sailfish every once in a while. But I'm talking about day in, day out, producing. Oh, yeah. I handed to, I am a Jimmy David and John Dudas and people like that. They're like so deadly. They're, you know, I've seen Jimmy, he'll stay out there way past when the charter ends. That's my kind of fisherman. That's why I admire Jimmy David, L and 8 sport fishing. I'd, I'd, I'd recommend everybody them, even if I was on a different boat. Right. Because right. I have that much. I knew those kids when they were kids, and I was already killing sailfish, like stacked up. These these guys have gone above and beyond. They're absolutely great. No, they're superstars. Mm -hmm. They're superstars. You know, I always, um, I always, I didn't know the guys from L and H, but I always, you know, paid attention. Mm -hmm. So a couple of years back, I'm putting in the water down at Crandon Park. There they are. And um, my clients are like an hour and a half late. And I already got bait. So I'm kind of pacing around or whatever. So I says, I'm going to walk over to the L&H boat. I says, and just introduce myself because I never really met those guys or whatever. Great people. So I roll over there and. Um, Humble. I don't, I don't even get to the boat. And somebody on the boat looks up and says, run that dog. <laughs> and the other lunker dog's over here. And they come out and they're shaking my hand. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm just like, wow. I was like, these guys are just every everyday real guys, just like us. But <laughs> right? they're slaying the friggin' fish. And um, I just thought it was awesome that, one, they knew who I was. And that when I did meet those guys. Oh, they're the best. They were great. Oh, Freddie and Jimmy, they're great. James, he's like in the top top in the world already and it's amazing how good they are down there oh they're good they're i watched it, i mean it, they'll catch 30 40 sailfish a day down there yeah yeah jimmy always told me you can come whenever you want i fish with freddie out snook fishing and stuff i've been sword fishing with him never gone fishing with jimmy yet though really he's invited me he says you can come anytime you want and uh I haven't got the opportunity. I just want to go down there and watch. I don't even mind right. working. I just want to stand up there and, and watch out. the operation. Yeah, just watch. Yeah, yeah. Just enjoy it, you know, because I'm always, I'm always on in the pit doing the work. But you know, I mean, these they gotta be doing something outrageous, or or they have the the amount of fish down there compared to what we have up here. Yeah. Well, you know, the 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 amount of fish down south is definitely way way more and those guys take advantage of it and um you know it's all it, well, presentation i don't i don't care you could be a gook and go down there and not catch fish that's true that's very there's true. plenty of people go to miami and they don't catch nearly what these Dude, guys catch plenty of dudes right on that same charter dock that can't catch a, a <laughs> tenth of what those guys catch that, that's what i'm that's what i'm telling you but you know i admire them because you know i admire me because I'm old. I still get up real early, four in the morning. I'll be out hunting for mullet. 
before two charters. You know what I mean? Yeah. And all the other lazy mates, they'd rather get their customers pay $80 a dozen for goggle eyes. Right. You know, not that they're great baits. You know what I mean? The thing is, they all got trucks. They could do what I do. You know, a lot of times they catch a lot more fish than most of the people around Fort Lauderdale. And it's because of the 10 minutes extra effort driving down Las Solas, getting out of my truck, scooping water up my live well, throwing the net. You know what I mean? That little bit of extra effort over the years has gone so far. And you have to do it too. Yeah. You absolutely need them yep. for what you do. Yeah, yeah, you know the old the old the old shirt we wear and hug like we trust. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, but that's what makes you great because you're doing the same thing for what you do. Right. No. You put in the extra effort. You know, getting to where the tarpon are is one thing, but having what you need to catch them is the main thing. And having everything right to get them to the boat. You're a, you're a total expert. I've watched you for years. You know, you're outstanding. You couldn't, there isn't a better charter service for tarpon and snook fishing in the whole state of Florida. Because <laughs> I'm watching, I'm looking. I, I live in Ocala. I used to have a condo in St. Pete. You know what I mean? But I got friends all over. And I'm, I'm watching the internet everywhere. Nobody catches fish like you do, Jeff. Well, I don't know. I work awfully hard at it. And, um, you don't understand how much I appreciate it coming from the kid that I watched when <laughs> I was a kid do it. And, uh, but you're right. You know, the, the extra effort, the, the time, the passion, I mean, you hit all the aspects of what the difference between good fishermen and great fishermen are during this interview. It's the love. <laughs> That's right. We yeah. love what we do. Some people call it a job. I call it a life. Yeah. <laughs> I live for it. <laughs> how do you uh, how do you swallow that whole salt life shit? Salt life shit? Like the stickers and all the people rolling around with their salt life stuff. I don't know. Have they ever been to the Grand Banks? <laughs> no. They've never seen the real salt so, life. <laughs> so, so you just laugh it off? <laughs> well. Because hey, it irritates the piss no, out of me sometimes. That shows why people are here, because they like the salt life. You know what I mean? But if all the people off Las Solas, Cordova Road, and every other rich place in Fort Lauderdale add salt life bumper, I'd have more, I'd have more appreciation for them. <laughs> it's like some of these people are so downright mean, and they don't need to be. You know? They already have everything a person could want. Right, what the heck could you be pissed off about? <laughs> I'm telling you. I, that's what I mean. It, this, this is like Disneyland on the water. That's <laughs> why they're here. I mean, God, enjoy yourselves. I mean, some people go out of their way just to be mean, and they don't really need to be. Yeah. Yeah, the town has changed. We grew up in Fort Lauderdale. We kind of live in New York now. But, hey, it's still warm every day. You're still catching fish, <laughs> and I'm still catching fish, and our hearts are still beating. And um, yeah, but how do we make it better, though? What what can we do to make it better? Yeah, see, I, well, I love the kids thing too. I got kids, but that's right. All the people we meet in the charter business, you want you want them leaving with a smile, and you want their kids to want to do this. You know, it's it's just something pure. 
There is something but pure about it. It's it's pure. Yeah. It's real. It's yeah. God's gift. It's the real deal. It is a gift. And it is from God. And um fortunately for you, fortunately for I, is we actually grew up in it, lived it, and are still in it. <laughs> I don't know how. <laughs> I'm not sure sure I'm not so sure how either, but I, I was dying to have you in here for a podcast. I was uh so flattered when you reached out to me years ago. Um, I think you saw a TV episode that we did. And you were like, hey, Jeff, I'm proud of you, dog. <laughs> and oh, I'm yeah. thinking to myself, I was like, Tedder just reached out to me and said he was proud. And uh, it meant a lot to me that then. It means a lot to me now. And um, thanks for spending the time um, today being on the Real Guy podcast, being part of the Real Guy Network. <laughs> I love it. And... Um, I think I'm going to journey down to ADOC. <laughs> I want to talk about a lot of the guys that aren't with us anymore. Because mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of ghosts that are going to hang around ADOC for a long time. And there's a heck of a lot of good stories and a lot of great fishermen. And, uh, John, thanks so much for coming in today. And thanks for being on the Real Guy Podcast. Thank you, Joe.